Alchemy is an ancient practice associated with science, chemistry, physics, astronomy, astrology, art, symbology, methodology, medicine, and philosophical analysis. And despite that these sciences were not exercised in a scientific way as known today, alchemy is the origin of modern logic. Dear listeners, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, and welcome to another episode of The Alchemy of Truth. This is your host, Nasser Al Khatib, and our co host as well with us today is Anna Rose Zaid. Assalamu alaikum, Anna Rose. Wa alaikum salam. How are you? Good, alhamdulillah. How are you? Alhamdulillah, very good. So, our topic today um, was a topic that we sort of picked up off the cuff because it's just sort of blew up like wildfire. Mm. I know I'm mixing. All over the internets. All over the internets. Inshallah, because there's multiple truths, there's also multiple internets. Deep, Nassau. Thank you. So today is going to be very exciting for us because we're going to be talking to two um, amazing people, very interesting people. One, a renowned Arab journalist from Venezuela. When we called her, it was um, 5.30 in the morning. I think it's very relevant that she's in Venezuela. Well, she's in Venezuela, isn't she? Uh, and a lecturer in Arab and Islamic studies, who is Italian, about their thoughts and responses to the article written by Muna Tahawi. The article, Why Do They Hate Us?, was written by Muna al-Tahawi to explore the reasons that women in the Arab world suffer discrimination more than any other region. Al-Tahawi concludes that this is because men in the Middle East hate women and oppress them through both patriarchal state systems and on a local level. She is gloomy about the prospect for the future in post-revolution Egypt, the parliament being, and this is a quote from Muna, dominated as it is by men stuck in the 7th century, The article is accompanied by a series of pictures of a naked woman covered in a black body paint, except for a slit around her eyes to resemble the niqab. The article has generated a lot of feedback, both for and against the thesis that Muna puts forth. Those who agree with Muna argue that she has highlighted the importance and immediacy of the problem, an element that is often stifled in cultural relativism and discussions on how to discuss women in the Middle East. Those who oppose the article contend that Muna has vastly oversimplified the problems, or in the words of Samia Arazuki, El-Tahawi entirely neglects the socio-economic roots of gender inequality, the rise of authoritarian regimes in a post-colonialist context, the remnants of dehumanization and oppression from colonialism, the systematic exclusion of women from the political system, or those who are used as convenient tools for the regime. There is more to gender inequality than just hate. We will now talk to Dima Khatib. Khatib is an internationally renowned journalist who currently works and lives in uh, South America, in Venezuela. She wrote a response to Altahawi's article, and we will discuss her thoughts on the matter now. Okay, so Dima. Yes. Hello. Hello. So we were talking about how in her article, Altahawi includes a number of facts which certainly illustrate the, dis- the discrimination experienced by women in the Middle East. Um, do you contend any of the facts she has included? And if not, what exactly about the article do you find problematic? Well, first of all, um, Muna is a is a professional journalist. She's a known feminist. Yeah. I did not um, look into verifying uh, the facts or the um, the figures that she provides. Although I do remember she did provide some links on her Twitter account. I trust that Muna has done her research and has provided authentic figures yeah. and statistics about the situation in the Middle East in the Arab world. Um, and I do, um, I do believe that the situation is quite bad, 
Um, the the thing that um, that struck me is um, that the the generalization maybe in in the um, in the article um, made it difficult for anybody to make the difference between Egypt, for example, uh, where certain practices do uh, happen and they don't happen in other Arab countries. Mm. Um, and there may be more African, um, you know, practices and other areas where, you know, the Arab world that are not in the African continent. These kind of distinctions did not, were not clearly made in the article. Um, I agree with Mona on all of the, all of the things that she says about um, how bad the situation is in the, in, in the Arab world in terms of what women have to go through. But what I disagree with um, are quite a few things. Uh, first of all, the fact that she attributes this to hate. Yeah. Um, and, and the whole article is based on men hating Arab women. I, I disagree with this. Maybe some men hate some Arab women. Mm-hmm. But to say, to say that this is the cause and the root of the problem is, uh, first of all, uh, very simplistic. Um, and second, is really not true. Um, some activists, I mean, some feminists have, have argued that um, it's hate, hating the women in us, not hating us directly. Well, yes, I'm sure there are cases, but generalizing like this, making every Arab man a suspect as a hater, I think that is a very, very dangerous statement, and I definitely disagree with it. And second is, the second thing that struck me is how um, Mona uh, wants to uh, make culture and religion, um, you know, to be the, the blame, to sort of put the blame on culture and religion, and also mm. at the same time uh, doesn't want to take them into account when it comes to how to deal with the problems. I think freedom is a universal concept, but having been to Egypt and Libya recently and Tunisia, after the revolutions and during the revolutions, I understood a lot of things about women and about... Um, I saw how when Gaddafi was gone and people were free and they were very conservative and they wanted to talk about God and they, the women were extremely conservative. And I saw in rural Egypt how my concept of freedom, having lived around the world, has nothing to do with their concept of freedom. And I think what they need now is is rather than wearing, having the right to wear a bikini or to take off the veil, is um, a really good education and a very good opportunity for a real life where they have a job, where they have uh, choices. And maybe after we educate the women and the men, they can make up their mind if they want to take off the veil or they want to keep the veil on or they want to do whatever it is that they want to do. Mm. Um, but, you know, I think it's, it's just, um, very far from uh, reality uh, to, to to think that we can just remove culture from all of this. Yeah, absolutely. No worries. Uh, thank you very much. Um, Dima, in your response, uh, you advocate that love is not hatred. Could you outline to our listeners what you mean by that and how this approach could better the lives of women in patriarchal societies? Well, I mean, if we if we take it um, if we take as a as a general fact that all Arab men hate all Arab women, all we're going to get into is a spiral of hate. 
Um, and I don't think hatred is is going to solve any of this um, at all. I think that uh, we we are brought up in Arab culture and Muslim culture as well. But I'm sure that even the Christians in the Arab culture are brought up the same way, to respect our mothers, to respect our grandmothers. We have real fondness for aunties, for female cousins. And this is something that I have seen different in the Arab culture to other cultures that I've known in the, in the world. The respect that we have for a mother is something that um, is almost sacred. We really respect our mothers. Um, and uh, you can't, I mean, this love does exist. Of course, there is resentment, there are other problems. But what I think should be done is a re-education of how to love each other, meaning that um, men are always trying to love women in the Arab culture um, and controlling them through that love. And the women are always trying to please the men and think that this is how they should love, by pleasing the men. And I think that what we need to do is, after we actually give all these people proper education, is to make them think about this way of loving and um, make them love in a more uh, equal way where they are not submissive nor uh, submitting anyone um, you know, whether you're a man or, or a woman or controlling. Um, and another thing um, that I think contributes to the problem at the moment of, um, uh, for example, sexual harassment, I think is, is the economic situation that, um, that makes people not have a job and therefore not have enough money to get married and therefore they're sexually frustrated because in our culture you cannot have sexual intercourse before marriage mm. and many people do abide by that and therefore they're in their 20s and sometimes even later than that and they haven't been married because they don't have a job and they don't they cannot get married mm. so that's also part of the problem and this is why why i argue that it's not just um the you know the that men are very bad and women are just victims they are victims but it's also the men that are also victims of um, certain circumstances we're going through in the Arab world. And among them is oppression, because oppression is not just practiced on women. It's practiced on men by our regimes, by our societies. It's oppression. It's lack of, of a good life, of opportunity that makes um, the men also very frustrated, just like the women, of course men express it in different ways to women. So do but you think that overall, this sort of uh, yes. oppression is sort of practiced on men as well as on on women and it just, um, uh, you know, um, um, presents in different ways in men and women? You mean the oppression pra the pr um, practiced by the regime? Yes. Yes, I do think it's different, although women are also victims of oppression, but I do think that in our societies, uh, very male-dominant societies, um, the male are the majority in prisons. They are the ones who you see, although recently you've seen in the revolutions that women are very, very active in, in demos, for example, but most of the time that I have been, there were more men than women. 
and men are always at the forefront of things because it's a it's a male dominated society so they are more likely to um to uh, be uh, subjects of oppression than uh the women uh but i also i also think that um uh these revolutions have shown that have really showed us that uh, women can actually stand side by side with the men and stand up to the oppression that they're both victims of to try and change the reality of things. So it actually gives me an indication of what um, we should you know, be hoping for, which is that the change will come from within. The change should not come from... Uh, a model that's imposed on us from outside, I think it should come from within, from within our culture and from within our needs. Um, and I say that because uh, I, I spent, for example, a month in rural Egypt and I was the only woman without a veil and even the Christian women were wearing uh, a veil. And it, it was very difficult for me to accept that fact, but that's the reality. And the, the women seemed okay and very happy with that and they asked me why i was not there and they said are you christian or are you where where are you from and why aren't you wearing your veil and for them this is now a normal thing now maybe later on if they have a different kind of environment a different kind of choice they will choose not to wear the veil but this is our reality and they are voting for islamists yeah. they find islam the choice that they want but they're like they're secure with Islam. They don't know much about politics, and for now, religion is the the place that they find um, themselves uh, secure with. So um, this is our reality now, and I think we have to, you know, cope with this reality in order to help people progress towards something better in the future. Yeah, thank you. Now, the article was accompanied by quite a set of confronting pictures of a naked woman all covered in black body paint um, in a series of poses. We're quite interested in what your views are on those pictures that accompanied the article. I must say I didn't like those pictures at all because, mm. well, first of all, they, they show a very weak um, Arab woman. She's naked, so this is the sexuality is very obvious in the picture. But she's painted in black, which is a very dark color. And the only thing you can see is her eyes with some Arabic coffee. Um, and I find that really, um, I, I was very upset when I saw it. My first reaction was, was just feeling um, insulted yeah. by, 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 these, by these pictures. Because this is, first of all, they do not represent the real picture, the real image of Arab women. And they represent, these pictures represent exactly what uh, non-Arab societies and particularly Western societies and Western media portray Arab women as being. Yeah. And, I mean, they're so stereotyped and so, so weak and so helpless because she's... You know, she's in black and she cannot do anything. And it, it actually saddens me to see um, pictures like this in an article written uh, by an Arab woman because mm -hmm. I think it contradicts with, with the, the whole purpose of, of the article and it stereotypes us as, as the victims in chains in, in black, which we are not. Um, 
not all of us are at least and this is a new generation i think the 21st century arab muslim woman is very different to the 20th, 20th century arab muslim woman um, and you can see that in the revolution uh, as well in many other fields on tv you can see that everywhere um, we are we've changed a lot there's a completely new uh, arab muslim woman at least a new generation that deals with with issues in a different way and that picture does not represent that new reality yeah okay that's great um dima thank you very much for your time i know it's uh, i think it's 5 30 in caracas no it's uh, already six now when you called me it was 5 30 oh, and actually <laughs> i only slept for like half an hour because oh, okay it was a pleasure no have a good night have a good sleep inshallah Assalamu alaikum. we will be back after this nasheed
will now be talking to Dr. Lucia Sorbera. Lucia is a lecturer at the University of Sydney, where she lectures in Arab and Islamic studies. Lucia has a PhD focusing on the origins of the Egyptian feminist movement and now researches and teaches in other subjects, including contemporary history of the Arab world and gender and women's history. Lucia joins us now. Hello, Lucia. Hello, Anna. Welcome to the Alchemy of Truth. Thank you for being with us tonight. Thank you for calling me. Now, as we've noted in your bio already, you've done quite a bit of study on gender discourse in Egypt. From that background, do you think El-Tahawi's main argument, which is that women in the Middle East are oppressed because men hate them, is one that is largely supported by feminist groups in Egypt or not? I, I would say no. Mm. First, because the banner of opposition, uh, oppressed, oppressed, uh, is not part of the feminist discourse. Yeah. Feminist discourse and practices uh, does not simply throw the position of the subjects, uh, oppressor and oppressed, but it breaks the system of oppression. Uh, patriarchy in the feminist discourse oppresses both men and women together mm -hmm. because it forces them to act uh, stereotypized gender roles uh, who are indeed social and cultural constructions. And if, uh, when I was in Egypt uh, a few months ago, I met a lot of young men who are part of a gender uh, organization, gender-oriented organization. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that seemed um, a, an, a perspective that really, I think, offended quite a few people within Egypt, this idea that the genders were forced into this hate and victim mindsets. Would you yes, agree? Yes, that, that's not the case. No. On the contrary, it's, uh, the reality appears uh, more nuanced, and we need to take into consideration these nuances. Yeah. Now, also, El Tahawi argues that the hatred of women manifests on both a state level, so that is through the state-sanctioned discrimination, and also on a local level, which is evidenced through the extremely high incidence of sexual assault in Egypt. Um, do you believe that the sexual harassment is symptomatic of very patriarchal societies? So is it a mindset thing, or is there another reason for it? Let's divide the, the answers into two parts. Sure. Now, regarding the discrimination on state level, uh, in fact, one of the problems in Mon Tahawi's article is the, the level of generalization. Yeah. It compares states and situations uh, that, in a broader perspective, can't be compared at all. Mm. And... Uh, Gender politics are part of broader politics, uh, and this point uh, seems to be missed in the article. Regarding sexual harassment, uh, it exists also in other cultural contexts. It's, uh, and what is relevant is that today women denounce it and struggle against it. Against, against it. Uh, sexual harassment is uh, caused by general uh, frustration, which, has, uh, which is rooted in economic and social conditions, but also war condition, and uh, it's it's strange that she doesn't talk, she doesn't mention uh, the the problem of sexual harassment in war context, yeah. like for example Iraq under the U.S. occupation. Yeah, absolutely. So, what would you think? Um, would you have any ideas of how to combat this issue of sexual harassment in Egypt? There are several networks against uh, sexual harassment. Mm. One of the projects uh, is uh, Harassmaster, mm. which is an online and, um, 
and mediatic project, eh? and uh, which involves a lot of we- young women and men uh, in Egypt today. It's based in Cairo. Yeah. Now, El Tahawi has an extremely critical view of the way religion in politics has impacted the lives of women in the Middle East. To quote her, women are silenced by a deadly combination of men who hate them whilst also claiming to have God firmly on their side. She also seems very pessimistic about the future of Egypt with the rise of political Islam, and she claims that the Islamist hatred of women burns brightly across the region now more than ever, and also that the Egyptian parliament is dominated by men stuck in the 7th century. Now, do you agree with Mona that Islamism is a, as a force is going to be worse than secularism has proven to be for women's rights in Egypt? Uh, First, uh, I wouldn't say that women are silent in Egypt. Yeah. No, uh, they are prominent, prominent speakers uh, since at least one century. So that's the first point. Is this uh, both? On one, would you yeah. say that's both um, inside and outside of Islamist networks? Of course, mm-hmm. yes. Both, both of them. Uh, I uh, in Egypt, I met secular women and uh, Islamist women. And uh, both of them uh, gave me always the same discourse. Uh, we are not going to, uh, to accept to be excluded by the political game. Mm. No, and, uh, and I would like to underline that also Islamist women uh, used to, to say that. But on one side, uh, we can say that she's true. Yeah. Men's political leadership has used the religious discourse to disempower women. And uh, scholars like Fatima Mernissi and Leila Ahmed had studied this phenomenon in depth. But I think she's wrong when she attributes to the Islamism all the gender troubles. Indeed, secular politics uh, have not proven to be much better for women. Islamism, indeed, Islamism of the 21st century can't be compared to the ideologies of the 7th century. Yeah. It is a product of the contemporary global culture, and we need to take into account that. And, and we can't forget that Islamism is plural, uh, and that within the Islamist movement, we also have uh, uh, women. Yeah, because it seemed quite surprising. She seemed to lump together both the Muslim Brotherhood and the Salafi movement um, almost as a monolithic entity. No, no. Yeah. Uh, in, in, on, on this, in this respect, uh, we need to acknowledge that there are deep differences. Uh, also, within the movement uh, of the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, and uh, the main differences uh, are across the generational lines. Now, given El Tahawi's criticism of the Islamist stance on women, it seems surprising that they are a resoundingly democratically elected force. Why do you think women would vote for political powers, which are, according to El Tahawi, so hateful of women? Discussion would need a broader analysis um, of the conditions under which the elections have been run in Egypt. To be short, uh, I could just say that the... Freedom and Justice Party is a grassroots party, and that people, especially, but not only people from the popular suburbs in the country, trust them for several reasons. Well, would you be able to expand a bit on what those reasons would be, if it's possible, or are they a bit too complex? 
for uh, about the elections, you mean? Yeah, about the reasons in particular why you think women would vote for them. Yeah, it, it's it really takes really long. I mean, it's uh, um, we, we should ask ourselves uh, why uh, Egyptian people have voted for them in general. Uh, mm. No, because they 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 had a quite a big success. No, and and women are part of a broader society, and uh, uh, their agenda is mixed with the broader agenda. So uh, they have voted like all the Egyptian people have voted them. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, now, Al Tahawi's argument has been criticised for being binary, orientalist, othering, and polemic. And overall, critics have argued that she has been she has vastly oversimplified the problems. However, her supporters argue that criticism of her article is simply avoiding talking about the real issues, um, that being the severe discrimination suffered by women that El Tahoe did indeed uh, highlight in her article. What do you make of this point? Do you think that the way an issue is framed is important enough to warrant serious discussion, as it has done in this instance? No. El Tahoe, we, we should acknowledge that uh, this article uh, has pushed women to talk and to discuss yeah. to discuss you know, on the global level. Perhaps her analysis is not so raffinate and deep uh, as uh, academic feminists or intellectuals would have expect expected or would have liked it to be. Mm. But she has touched some key issue which need to be further discussed. And the reactions from the... Um, the reactions from uh, the media and the bloggers and and so on demonstrates that these are issues which need to be discussed further. Yeah. The problem I don't think is at the Howie's article per se. The problem, I, I, if I see a problem, it is in the limited access uh, to mainstreaming international media enjoyed by Arab feminist activists. Okay. Um, how do you mean by that? I mean that uh, it is not easy, I mean, it's almost impossible to many of the organizations uh, who are active in Egypt today to reach a broader public, an international broader public. Yeah. And this is the reason why most of the general idea about the Arab world and uh, the, um, the Arab women continues to be highly stereotyped and uh, monolingual, if you like. Yeah. And why do you think this is? Is it mainly because of the language barrier? I, I wouldn't say on, only the language, because most of the activists uh, in Egypt uh, can, uh, can speak even English. So it's not their own language barrier, but I would say it's most the Western cultural barrier. Okay, yeah. Now, if, if I could quote uh, one of the um, pioneers in Egyptian feminism, I would say that the veil is on the eyes of the Western people, not on the face of the Muslim women. Yeah, that's a very good point. Because it's quite interesting, a lot of people have talked about this revolution being the Facebook revolution and so on and so forth, um, wherein people from within these cultures are able to express what's happening to people from the outside. But it sounds like you don't really agree that that's what's happened. Exactly, yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay, interesting. Um, now, do you agree with El Tahawi in that attempts to control 
by such regimes often stem from the suspicion that without it, a woman is just a few degrees short of sexual insatiability. Now, that was a quote from her article about why the governments are, to, are trying to um, control women. And her conclusion seemed to be that it was mainly motivated by a fear of the sexuality of women. And would you agree with that? The activists I met uh, when, I, when I was in Egypt in November and December uh, focused their discourse uh, not on not on women oppressions but on human rights. Yeah. And uh, they they tried to explain me and to explain people who wanted to talk to them that uh, what worries them uh, uh, is the oppression of the people in general and gender oppression is part of this oppression. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Lucia, for joining us. Thank today you. Thank you, Rosemary. For giving it's been us a such Bye. thorough answers. All right. Thank you, Lucia. Thank you, Rosemary. And uh, I see you on Tuesday. I'll see you then. Okay. The listeners, Bye. Lucia is my lecturer at university. <laughs> yes. If you, if you could put half of the effort you, you're putting in this program uh, in, in your tooth. <laughs> I will try. I will in your classes, <laughs> Thank you, Lucy. Why not? Why not, indeed? All right, thank you. Think about it. I will think about it. Thanks, Lucia. And now, dear listeners, we come to the end of the show. Um, I hope you found it beneficial. Um, There's actually been, I think, at my last count, about eight articles written about this same issue. Twenty articles? Probably an exaggeration, maybe close to ten. It's very interesting, actually, um, something that nobody picked up on, which is the title of the article. Just NASA. Well, maybe other people have picked up on it. Allah Alam. Here's an exclusive. Um, the, article, <laughs> the title of the article is Why Do They Hate Us? And this is very interesting because this was the question that was consistently asked during over the last 10 years of why do the Muslims hate us? Why do the terrorists yeah, hate us? Yeah, there was an article specifically written. Apparently, in one of the articles I read, sorry, someone got this scoop That's before okay. you, Nasa. That's fine, no problem. But Great minds think that about. It's an actual paraphrase written, um, of an article written in October 2001 about... Um, the Al-Qaeda and why they hate the West and that kind of thing. Um, And this response, which we'll put up on the Facebook page, was talking about how it was a very polemic view, a very us and them, um, and how we have tried to move beyond that binary view. But according to this article, um, the one we'll put on the Facebook page, Muna's article has actually taken the discourse right back to that binary yeah, so um, again, it's very interesting the choice of words that she uses, Allah Alam. I don't know if she's using it um, deliberately or not. Mm. Um, actually, I'd like to end just by saying one thing, which is what we're dealing with here is the arguments put forward in the article mm. and not the person yeah. who's writing the article. Exactly. Um, so again, this is something that uh, Dima mentioned as well, which is, you know, she's a respected journalist. We're not here to try and um, character assassinate or anything like that. Yeah. We're just it's all about the arg- uh, addressing the, the arguments in the article, inshallah. Yeah. Uh, now we come to the end of our show. I'd like to thank our listeners for listening and contributing. And especially thank our two guests today, especially mm-hmm. Dima, who got up ridiculously early after having half an hour's sleep to yeah. talk to us. And also Lucia, um, who talks to us today from Sydney. Inshallah. Um, and we will see you, inshallah, next week uh, for our next show. Uh, thank you very much. This is the other show's presenter, Nasr Al Khatib and uh, Anna Rose Zaid. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.